Fellow for Lover, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. The government, I think, feels under pressure and is putting schools under pressure to try continuing education in some form. Schools in Vanuatu grapple with damages and disruptions in the aftermath of Lola. Also, Nauru elects its fourth president. And later on, I speak with a Pacific Health leader who shares her personal journey on living with breast cancer. Cyclone Lola has caused extensive damage to Vanuatu schools just before students were due to sit their final exams. More than 15,000 Ni Vanuatu students in Penama province have had their education disrupted from buildings being destroyed. Andrew Gray, a teacher at boarding school Ranwari College on Pentecost Island, says five out of 30 classrooms had their roofs ripped off and are out of action. He speaks to Caleb Fotheringham about delivering education in the aftermath of Lola. It's an unusually bad situation for schools because it's coming up to damn final exams. Disasters, cyclones usually don't strike at this time of year. The last few big cyclones that have hit Vanuatu have been in March, April, and schools have had several months to recover and catch up before students sat their final exams. This time, the cyclone has come before the usual season. It's hit every school just before final exams, and schools are, are left with damaged classrooms, other damaged facilities, trying their best to, particularly the students who have final exams coming up, the um, order we've received from the government is to prioritise exam classes. So at our school, a rural boarding school, the students who have final exams coming up this year, they're back at school this week. We brought those back first. And then next week, we're going to look into what can be done with the rest using the uh, classrooms that we still have available and the facilities that we still have available. At our school, we have five out of 13 classrooms out of action. The roofs have been blown off. But we're fortunate here in that at least the students' dormitories are okay and the school kitchens. So students will have food and shelter if they do come back, which is the most important thing. It's just a question of how we deliver education with so many classrooms out of action. Yeah, how are the students feeling about this? Uh, they're, they're always very quiet and stoical. Among the ones who have exams coming up, obviously they're keen to sort of get on with it and see their education not disrupted. I think among the non-exam classes, there is almost a feeling that sort of we might as well just give up on this school year and focus on catching up next year. The government, I think, feels under pressure and is putting schools under pressure to try continuing education in some form up to the official end of term. There is talk of giving out home learning packages to kids who are unable to come back to school. But I and quite a lot of other teachers feel that that's really not very effective in a, in a rural village environment. We had experience of that in past disasters and during COVID, and it really didn't work out well. It would be much better, a lot of us feel, to just accept that this school year is finished, except for students with final exams, and try and focus on catching up at the start of the next school year having hopefully had a chance and hopefully received some assistance in rebuilding damaged classrooms and other damaged facilities. I heard Cyclone Herald in 2020 damaged 
uh, a few schools in Pentecost Island as well and that the schools were still recovering from that damage. Was that the case? Yes. I mean, we still have things that were left um, unfixed following Cyclone Harold. Cyclone Harold came at, at a bad time for a different reason. That was when the coronavirus epidemic had just begun. So aid agencies weren't able to operate the way they usually do. The Vanuatu government, too, was very strapped for resources. So aid was very slow in coming after Cyclone Harold. And Cyclone Harold was utterly devastating. I mean, Cyclone Lola last week was bad, but Harold Harold was a completely other level. It would have even in good circumstances have taken many years to recover from that. And before we'd even had the chance, another cyclone comes and hits. And the psychological impact of that, too, of being struck by two monster cyclones in succession, people are now extremely worried. You know, when is the next one going to hit? With us being in, a, in an era of climate change, has yeah, constant destruction become the new normal? Have we just been unlucky these past few years? Every time there's bad weather, people start panicking, you know, is the next cyclone coming? It's been quite traumatic. Although on the face of it, people are very, very stoic, uh, very resilient. They're certainly worried about what the future holds. Meanwhile, La Solomon Islands medical doctor and Tokopian community spokesperson based in Honiara says food and medical supplies are urgently needed on the remote island destroyed by Cyclone Lola. Dr Jackson Rake, who's been involved in past previous damage assessments, is this time acting as the communications advisor for the Tokopia Anuta Disaster Committee. He told Lydia Lewis he's concerned about the livelihood of the people and their health. The two islands, Tikopi and Anita, were battered by Cyclone Lola on the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th of this month, October. And we recently, on Saturday, formed a, um, a committee. It's called Tikopi and uh, Anuta Disaster Committee. This committee actually looks at ways to raise money to uh, buy much-needed need- items for affected islands. And what is the latest information that you have obtained? I called the people from Lata. Lata is actually like our capital of our province, Temotu. Tikopi and Anuta are in Temotu province. I managed to talk to some of the nurses there and, and people who deal with disasters, disasters in, in our islands. They were able to give me some information on, on what damage happened. And what has been damaged? Houses have been damaged. Food crops, fruit trees, the gardens, and there were landslides. Earlier in the year, that was around, uh, it was around, yeah, it was in March. We had these uh, cyclone uh, back at the islands as well. So um, we were deployed to go and do a testing on the damages done. And we were able to supply them with food items. <clears throat> they were mainly rice. Because um, all the gardens were destroyed, the fruit trees, the food um, roof crops were, were, were well, basically damaged, destroyed. And so uh, the, the immediate need that they, uh, the people needed at the time were, were food supplies and, and, um, and um, medical supplies in, in the case of any outbreaks um, after um, the cyclone. So... Now with this, and, and the islands have not recovered fully after that 
those two cyclones that struck us in, in May. And then this cyclone Lolo came and damaged the um the houses and um, um yeah, basically the gardens. Had they started to rebuild and started to replant crops and were they destroyed again? Yes, that, that's, that's what actually happened. I mean, they were, the island was just recovering. People began to rebuild their houses that were, that were damaged during the uh, previous cycling, cyclones and um, they replanted their, their, their gardens. We just recovering and these cyclones just came in. And what is the latest on the injuries? I also received reports that there were, there were four, four people who got injured during the cycling. There were basically minor injuries. There were three adults and a child, small cuts and bruises uh, during the cycling. So, so that they have all recovered now. In Tikopi alone, we have 198 houses, households. And the total population right now is 915. In Anuta, we have 65 households, and the total population is 306. And how many of those houses are damaged? In Tikopia alone, there were 148 houses damaged out of the 198. Has any aid reached Tikopia yet, or has aid been sent? There has been no aid sent to the island yet, but the urgent need that the people would need now is food supplies. And, and medical supplies. In the case of, like, like there happens to be an outbreak of diarrhea or things like that. Has the government responded fast enough? Um, the government is, is, is doing its best. We have a National Disaster Management Office here that is, is doing its best to try and get a team to be like quickly sent over to do assessment and with 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 um, some immediate food supplies. From reports I, I received, there is a uh, one of our patrol boats is is um, police patrol boats is is going to leave this Thursday evening, and and it will definitely definitely um, um, take with it uh, bags of rice. And, and medical supplies and, and other food items. Is that a police patrol boat leaving from Honiara? Yes. Okay. And how long will it take to get there? About three days. Uh, usually it would go and stop in, in, in Lata on Santa Cruz. And we have a medical team there that's going to board with, with um, some, uh, some important people in, in Lata, which is our main, main um, station uh, in Tamoto province, and then they would leave from there. They would leave, it doesn't take long there, and then they would leave for pick up here. So, uh, about three days from here, from from Honiara to, um, to Lata would take about two days, and then from, from Lata to pick up here would take about um, a day and a half, so three and a half days. And for anyone listening that wants to support the community, how can they donate or how can they support the efforts? We have a shop owned by Tikopia here. I actually am chairman for the Tikopia Anuta Disaster Committee. And he has allowed us, if anyone wants to give any donations in the form of money or food or any, any like, um, what do you call them, these, these um, tools, 
they can take this stuff, uh, money and uh, the stuff, and take them down to. There is this shop known as Fleet Solomon's. It's at the eastern side of Honiara City. It's quite well known, so people know where this shop is, and, and they can take their, all this stuff there. Thank them for these donations. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Was there anything else that you'd like to add? I would like also to reach out to the our neighboring country, like if they can support us in any way. Um, it can actually assist our government to um, in, in its efforts to um, send relief supplies to the islands. That would be lovely. Currently, a lot of things happening, so uh, I think the government definitely will need some support from outside. David Ariang has become Nauru's fourth president in the past four years after winning election following the removal of Russell Kuhn in a vote of no confidence last week. He's had a 22-year career in Nauru, mostly in government, and mostly in key roles, often including being the driving force in the cabinet. Don Wiseman spoke with Massey University senior security lecturer and a polls about Mr Ariang taking Nauru's top job. Ariang has is a longer-serving member of Nauru's parliament, and it was a touch-and-go contest. He ended up securing 10 votes in the 19-member parliament, and so it, it certainly, you know, it was it was tight, um, multiple rounds. But he has a long record in politics in Nauru, and he has served in a number of roles: uh, justice, finance, uh, as well as speaker. And he's also played a fairly critical role, backroom role in a number of the political machinations uh, in Nauru over the years. And, of course, he has also been accused of of receiving kickbacks from the Australian phosphate company, uh, dealer rather, Getax, as has Baron Wanga, who is the nomination for um, uh, Secretary General of the Pacific Islands Forum. Yes, and we might talk about him in in just a moment. Um, Another critical issue I think both of these men were involved in is the treatment of the opposition from about 2014 and the removal of them effectively from the parliament and on what I think were widely regarded as trumped up charges over a supposed riot that was really in fact a minor protest. Neither of these people emerge from these things looking very good, do they? No, absolutely not. And there have been very serious concerns about the way in which the judiciary in Nauru has been treated. And and you're absolutely right. At the time, he was justice minister. And certainly in, in, in 2018, he made some very strong statements. He has been widely criticised outside Nauru for his role in that. There are absolutely concerns about the future in Nauru for the judiciary in light of his return to power as president. Let's talk about Baron Wanga and the way it seems the leaders of the Pacific Islands Forum will meet next week and it's expected Mm. that they're going to confirm him as the new Secretary General. There were some misgivings when it was revealed to people that he didn't have Baron Wanga, didn't have a particularly rosy past, but as far as we know, as far as we understand, he's still in line to take the job. Absolutely. Uh, And I mean, there were certainly concerns. For a start, it was the first time that 
a secretary general was confirmed in the communique. So in 2022, last year, when the Pacific Islands Forum leaders met in, in Fiji, and the communique that came out from the 51st meeting noted that Baramwanga had been confirmed as the next secretary general to follow on from Henry Puna, the current secretary general. And Following that, some concerns, some misgivings started to emerge from across the Pacific. David Panuelo was one such. Uh, he obviously is no longer no longer in power, but other Pacific leaders have raised some concerns about his reputation. And again, he was also and is in there is currently an open Australian Federal Police case regarding uh, him having received kickbacks from the phosphate dealer Getex. And so there are significant concerns about that. And there are also broader concerns amongst civil society about his treatment of of refugees, for instance, uh, under that particular program with Australia. So it is possible, it's certainly not on the on the agenda, but it is it is possible that his nomination as Secretary General may be up for discussion at the meeting in Cook Island. And but of course there's an awful lot banking on this because the Suva agreement, which was the political commitment to resolving the issue which led to the Micronesian country, member states, uh, and announcing they would split. The Suva Agreement and the implementation and operationalization of the Suva Agreement will be on the agenda. And of course, Puna and the Cook Islands as hosts will be very cautious and careful about potentially creating an issue which could exacerbate those concerns, which so much work was done by Pacific leaders to resolve them last year in order to retain unity within the forum. So there'll be some very careful conversations and considerations made about how to broach this. But there's enormous concern about whether or not Baron Wanga, irrespective of the allegations about him in terms of corruption and, and bribery, whether or not he is necessarily the right person to take the forum forward at a really challenging time. RNZ Pacific has made multiple requests to the Nauru government for an interview with Mr Ariyong. It's the end of Breast Cancer Awareness Month and joining us on Pacific Waves is Debbie Sorensen, the Chief Executive of Pacifica Medical Association. For the first time, Mrs Sorensen recently opened up about her own breast cancer journey through a short documentary released earlier this month, providing invaluable insights and experiences to help other Pacific women Mrs. Sorensen says she wants people to know that breast cancer is not a battle to be faced alone or with fear. Talofa Lava Debbie, why did you decide to share your journey? I thought about this last year and was uncertain actually whether I was going to share it or not, but we decided that we would film and um, record some of the events as we went through the year in case we did decide to use it. One of the things that I became really aware of was that everything that you see about cancer on TV always ends badly. And you never um, or very rarely see a movie or anything that says that someone has actually done okay. And so I really wanted to put up something that said, yes, it's scary, but actually we can do this. Um, we can get through this and it will be okay. And I thought that if that supported any one of our women to actually step forward and get screened to actually seek treatment, then it is worth it. Now, just take us through 
your um, to the start of your journey, what was going through your mind when the doctors broke the news to you? Well, really, I thought that they were just kind of uh, not telling the truth because we had no breast cancer in our family. Um, and so I couldn't see, of all the cancers that I might get, breast cancer really wasn't on my radar. So when the uh, surgeon told me that I had breast cancer, I was quite shocked, actually. And then, it, you know, the process happens so quickly because you need to move really fast with, you know, uh, your scan and your biopsy and then surgery and then chemotherapy and then radiotherapy, you really don't have much time to stand back and think. And so you just, you need to have a lot of faith um, in the people that, you know, are looking after you. You need to have a really good relationship with them. What are other common misconceptions around breast cancer? I remember watching the video, you said it's not an immediate death sentence. Yes. Um, Most breast cancer, if it is found early and, um, you know, people seek treatment early, you know, the outcomes are very, very good these days. The ability for the health system to diagnose breast cancer early um, and then to treat it really well and the new treatments that are coming through every day are just remarkable. So, you know, 30 years ago, uh, women like me might have well died. Um, But these days, with the right treatment and you know, they're very sophisticated drugs. The radiotherapy is very targeted. The surgery is superb. Um, the outcomes are very, very good. And so 10-year, 15-year survival rates from breast cancer are very good. And I think that you just, you know, for me, I just needed to keep telling myself it will be okay. Um, you just need to suck it up. You know, I needed to suck it up. Like going to chemotherapy is not, you know, I couldn't describe it as the joy in my life. Um, but it's just something that uh, needed to happen. And if I wanted to, you know, have a future with my grandchildren and do things that I wanted to do um, in the future in my life, then this is what I needed to do. So kind of like short-term pain in a lot of ways um, to be able to have a future. What would your advice be for other Pacifica women and their families who are on a similar journey to yours? Um, One of the things I felt really helpful was that I had a really good friend, um, a very good Samoan friend who had had breast cancer. And she's a woman like myself. She, you know, she's a senior um, manager. And I found her really helpful. I would see her, you know, maybe every month, every six weeks, and we'd have a cup of coffee or we might have breakfast. And I found it really helpful to talk to her about saying, so what did you do when you were having chemotherapy? Did you stop work? Um, Because being able to share that experience is really important and learn from other people. And I, I just got really good Um, advice and hints from other people you know so I think I'd say to people don't be afraid to reach out that it's very surprising when you get breast cancer to understand just how many women around you um, have had that experience as well and there's always something valuable from that and everyone is different so you know everyone's journey is very different everyone's breast cancer is different But, you know, there are things that are um, 
helpful. You know, for example, I have very bad nausea. Um, and one of the things that helps nausea is ginger. And it's a natural remedy for nausea. And as much as I love uh, taking the anti-nausea drugs, and I really do love them, they've saved my life, knowing that I could also do things like sip ginger ale or eat ginger cookies um, or ginger, and that that would make me feel better was a really helpful thing. And so just those sort of little hints that you pick up from you know, women who have been on this journey is really helpful. So I'd encourage families to reach out to um, other women and people who have, you know, been on this journey because there is a fellowship in that and it's close and it's compassionate and it's kind. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, to Fasui 4.